right. I don't mean to interrupt your conversations, but I, but I kind of do. All right, how are you guys doing? Yeah, doing all right? Hanging out? Cool. Uh, so my name is Marco. I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, I hope everything has been lovely. There's a lot of new faces. Uh, if you haven't gotten yourself some coffee, please do so. Help us finish it. And uh, again, just thank you so much for, for being here with us this morning. Uh, so, so here's what I got to do. I got, I got a few things to talk about. Uh, while I'll talk about that, why don't you go ahead and load and, or open your Bible to Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. That's Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. And as you flip through that, I just got a couple of quick, I guess, updates and or uh, announcements. And so the first one is, if you notice on the screen, as he talked about it earlier during worship, is today is Palm Sunday. This Palm Sunday is the start of Holy Week. And so what we are doing is taking a short break from our time in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, and so we're going to spend time celebrating and observing, walking through, again, Palm Sunday, later this week, Good Friday, and then finally next Sunday, uh, go through Easter Sunday. And then we'll jump back into Habakkuk. I think we have about three more weeks left in our time uh, during our study of Habakkuk. So that's number one. Number two, uh, if you're online, and and this is kind of a shameless plug, but it isn't. Uh, If you're online, if you're on Facebook, be sure to find us on Facebook at at Storehouse McAllen uh, and and like our page. One of the things that we're going to be doing this week in light of Holy Week is that we're going to be uploading several videos from Crossway Publishing. Uh, We're going to be uploading several videos in light of Holy Week. So Oftentimes when we talk about Holy Week or when the church begins to observe this time, the Easter season, typically uh, the, the three big days that tend to be taught on, preached about, and celebrated are, again, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and finally Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. Uh, what we're going to do and what some of the, the, the editors and publishers at, at Crossway have done, uh, and they did this a couple of years ago, so we're going to post these videos starting this afternoon, and what those videos are meant to do is to inform and educate us on filling in the details with what happened on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Saturday. And so what a lot of these theologians and historians are going to do is they're going to essentially bring details out that we may miss in scripture, look at historical context in order to fill in some of the details regarding Holy Week. Again, I think oftentimes when we think about Holy Week or when we observe Holy Week, we're looking at Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. So be sure to check that out uh, on our Facebook page this week. And the final plug is on your chairs, particularly if you're new, you should have some Connect cards. If you see those Connect cards, please be sure to fill it out. Uh, Turn it in when we do offering or bring it up to to the Connect desk. We'd love to hang out with you. We'd love to get to know you and answer your questions. And in addition to that, next to those Connect cards, should be some Easter business-like cards. Take those. In fact, take all of them. In fact, take more than all of them. And then invite your friends and family to not only our Good Friday service on Friday, but also Easter. It's a shameless plug, but it's not necessarily a shameless plug when we're celebrating the resurrection of a risen king. That's just my opinion, right? Um, but so that's all I have in terms of updates and announcements. And, and, uh, and man, let's just jump into our time, yeah? All right. Here we go. So we're going to find ourselves in, in Matthew 21. And here's what I say about, here's what I will say about Matthew 21. 
It's a big text, but we're going to focus namely on one thing. Okay? We're going to focus namely on one thing. And uh, number two, what Matthew 21 is really going to do for us is set the setting and the tone for our time. In other words, we're not going to be looking at it verse by verse, though we love that. We just don't have time to unpack a lot of it today. Uh, last year on, on Palm Sunday, we walked through a detailed account of uh, Jesus' triumphal entry in Luke 19. If you want a little bit more of those details, you can go to that sermon. Here, we're going to look at something broad, but something very specific. And we're pulling it, we're withdrawing it from Matthew 21. So I'll read, then I'll pray, and then uh, I want to I give you a little bit of info about Palm Sunday uh, in order, again, to, to give you a little bit more uh, tone setting and context for our time. Uh, here we go. Join me in... Uh, in reading this. Here we go. So this is uh, Matthew 21. So he writes, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. That is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. You can put that in the back burner. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse 9, and this is really the the crux of our time. Verse 9, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as our hearts have been prepped to worship you, not only through and in song, I pray that you would continue to be at work, stirring us up for the affection of your word and ultimately the promise of the return of Jesus. Lord, I pray that this time would glorify you. I pray that this time would affect us so much that we cannot help but examine the condition of our hearts so that we come to terms and grips with our need for a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this time of Palm Sunday. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Going to do a little bit of a historical excursus, and then we'll, we'll bleed into the time of Matthew 21. And so as I mentioned earlier, Palm Sunday is the start of Holy Week. And the reason Palm Sunday specifically is so important is because in this time, this is where uh, inevitably all privacy and all safety would end for Jesus. 
if you read through the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, ultimately, or before this day had come, many of the things that Jesus was doing, like uh, performing miracles, praying and teaching, discipling his men, all of those things were done in short and small settings. Uh, and on several occasions, he had escaped the hands of being arrested and persecuted. Many times we'll see through those accounts that we see Jesus saying that he withdrew from the crowd, not just to go in prayer, but oftentimes because they aimed at bringing charges before him. Palm Sunday, again, is significant because what it is detailing and what Jesus is doing on Palm Sunday is all of that privacy and all of that safety is now over. He is completely out in the open and in public. Not that he hasn't been, but in other words, he is not pulling back anymore, if that makes sense. Palm Sunday would inevitably lead to the collision between religious and political authorities. It would lead to this collision politically because the people wanted Rome overthrown by any means necessary. And they viewed Jesus as the one who would ultimately lead this charge. Religiously, it was such a collision because the Pharisees on several occasions, again, if you read through the accounts, the Pharisees on several occasions were bested by Jesus in public debate and often were left humiliated. They would later in the week conspire with the scribes and the chief priests to falsely accuse and ultimately falsely arrest Jesus. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, check it, as the long-awaited Messiah. Now that's going to have some weight to it, both because we know the story and both because like the people in Matthew 21, we don't get it. And so I want you to put that also in the back burner. Because the truth is, when we read through Matthew 21 and what I just read, we often look at ourselves as different. We look at ourselves as removed. We look at ourselves as evolved from the people who were shouting Hosanna. And the reason we do that is because we know the story. We know what's going to happen on Friday, and we know that he's going to rise again on Sunday. And so the effect is really something that goes over our head. And I think if you place yourself in the setting of Matthew 21, if you tend to be a little bit uh, imaginative, if you put yourself in the context and the setting of Matthew 21, you can see yourself in the crowd with the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is a term of adoration, which means save now. And we can place ourselves there. We can say, yeah, I could see myself saying that too. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. But the truth is, we're not any different than the people in Matthew 21. We're not any different than the people in Matthew 21. You see, it's the same people in Matthew 21. It's the same people who are shouting Hosanna, who in a couple of days will also be shouting, crucify him. It's the same people. If you read Luke's account, we see that as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, he begins to weep over the city of Jerusalem because he recognizes and sees the hardened hearts of the people who will later vote and cry, crucify him. And he's aware of all of this. The celebration of a procession in a couple of days would be met with tears of a funeral instead. And so that's the reality that 
we find ourselves in with Palm Sunday. You see, Palm Sunday isn't simply the start of a traditional season on a church calendar. It's a reminder of two things, and this is what I would submit to you. It's a reminder of two things, the condition of our hearts and our deepest need for a Savior. Those are the two things that Palm Sunday should lead us to, the condition of our hearts and our deepest need for a Savior. Now, in order to elaborate on those points, we're actually not going to look at Matthew 21. I think the best thing to do in an effort to elaborate on those two points is to actually go back to the beginning so that we have a fuller picture of what is going on and ultimately the corruption of our hearts. Now, I say this, and it might sound really like, like a bummer. I'm like, man, this is Palm Sunday. I thought it was supposed to be a little bit more chip. But there's a problem with Palm Sunday, because like the people in Matthew 21, we think we're different, and we think we know it. But I want to use this time, again, to press on the condition of our hearts and the deepest need for a Savior. And so here's where I want to take us. I want to take us to Genesis 3, verses 8 through 15. I'll read it, and then I'll, I'll, I'll unpack just a few things. And so the writer says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Classic dude. He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. <laughs> That's a sermon in and of itself. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, and here's, here's what I want you to really hone in on, particularly this last verse. <clears throat> Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Check it. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That verse 15, highlight it, underline it, Put it in the forefront of your mind. Now, before we jump into verse 15, here's ultimately what this section of Genesis, of what Genesis 3 teaches us. What Genesis 3 teaches us is that we have not only become corrupted by sin, but as image bearers of God, our relationship with him had now become shattered and distorted. And what we need is to be restored. That's what is needed that we need to be restored. And in that verse 15, that one I told you to remember, where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Theologians refer to this verse as the Proto-Evangelion, which means the first gospel. What God is promising in this is that he promises to save man through Adam's seed. Essentially, what he is saying in verse 15, someone is coming. Someone is coming to restore this. 
And what I want you to grasp from that is from the start, God has been and is on a rescue mission. God has been and is on a rescue mission from the beginning. His mission to rescue his children is plan A. I want you to know that. He didn't have to whiteboard it. He just jumped on it. Further, if you continue in Genesis 3, and this is still, if you read through Genesis 3 and you don't really grasp some of the things that are happening, because sometimes we read quickly, I get it, but one of the things that I think is often missed is in verse 21. So what we see in 8 through 15, we see man fall, we see God confront man, and we see God curse man and the woman and the serpent, and then he preaches a gospel. But then in verse 21, they say, excuse me, the writer says, and the Lord God made for Adam, listen, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, why is that important? Why is that a big deal? Upon man and woman falling into corruption, falling into their sin, the best they could do is cover themselves in shame with fig leaves. God comes down and approaches them and confronts them and has them talk about what they just had done and extends undeserving grace. We're still referencing verse 21, and if you're like, I I, I don't get it. He's extending undeserving grace. One of the things he told them was, man, when you eat of this tree you will surely die. Now, we can make a case that he meant that they're not going to live eternally anymore, but we could also make a case that we can look at this practically. One, they ate of the fruit and they did not die. He didn't wipe them out right then and there, which he could have. Number two, upon doing this, upon giving them undeserving grace, an animal was sacrificed. An animal took the wrath of God. And he is the one that field dressed that animal and skinned it. And he is the one that clothed them in their sin. Even from the beginning, we see a tangible foreshadowing of the coming of Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. From the beginning, God told Adam, someone is coming. And in verse 21, we see a foreshadowing of ultimately what Jesus would do. So don't miss out on the extension of undeserving grace. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see the fallen condition of our hearts and our need for a Savior. In the Old Testament, the people were highly anticipant of such a Messiah. You can look through all of the Old Testament, and that's pretty much one of the biggest things, the biggest themes that they are pushing for. One day he will come. One day he will come. We are waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come. One day he will appear. All this prophecy is coming forward. The Messiah will come one day. As we even unpack and walk through Habakkuk, that was one of the things that he is ultimately alluding to, that one day he will come. Don't look at the circumstance. Look at the truth. One day, He will come. And I would submit just a few sections of Scripture where we see God speaking through His prophets, where He's communicating that 
this Messiah will come. This is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. This is God speaking through Nathan, talking to David, and he says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of sons of men. God's people wait and wait and wait for this coming king. Speaks to David. We know David dropped the ball, and then we know that Solomon came after David. And what God is ultimately telling them in 2 Samuel is that I will raise someone up whose kingdom will expand and endure forever. And it will be through you. So again, this is just a small, a small and short section where we see God telling them that he's, someone is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. We referenced Zechariah 9 at the beginning of Matthew 21. This is the prophecy that Jesus later fulfills in Matthew 21, that the coming of a king is going to be on a donkey, and he will be humble. The Messiah is coming on a donkey, not on a horse. The one sent to rescue his people. And so as we look to the condition of our heart and our need for a Savior, it goes all the way to the beginning. This isn't something that's new or recent. This is something that has been. And it has been a promise from the beginning from God that he will be sending someone. And so now we could look to Matthew 21 a little bit more. Maybe you have a little bit more context and a little bit more of a fitting picture because now as we come back to Matthew 21, what we see is that Jesus rides into the great city of Jerusalem and the people are calling him Lord. And he referenced to himself as Lord, which is a big deal. And they are praising his name and they are celebrating in victory. This is where the palm leaves come out. They are laying them on the road. They are waving the palm leaves. Green signifies victory. They are craving. They're celebrating victory. He is here. The Messiah is coming. The people had been so anticipant of salvation. He is riding in on the donkey. He's fulfilling Zechariah 9. But there's a problem. The people are all for salvation. It's the way in which Jesus would bring that salvation that was a problem. Remember, they're thinking political. They're thinking, man, he's going to overthrow Rome. Man, this is awesome. He's here. He's finally here. And they missed it. The disciples, they missed it. Several chapters uh, previous, he is saying, I am going to be delivered into the hands of Pontius Pilate. I, I will be killed. I will raise up on the third day. And they're like, right, yes. New president, you're going to be a new leader. You're going to do something different in which we need. That's not at all what he came to do. And the people are all for salvation. It's just the way in which Jesus would bring about that salvation that was a problem. Jesus was making his way to the cross to endure the wrath of God for sinners as the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. And the people, just like us, did not 
understand. And so I'd submit to you again, we are no different than the people in Matthew 21. We are no different when we call him Lord and then distance ourselves when what he does or says isn't what we want. We are no different when we celebrate religious occasions and traditions, but with hearts that are far removed from Jesus and his gospel. We are no different when we regularly place our hope in the circumstances and not the person. We are no different than them when we regularly identify our faith by how we feel, not that emotions are bad, but when we regularly identify our faith by how we feel rather than with the joy of Christ. And so it leaves us with a problem, and that problem tends to be conviction. And so what's our hope? Here's our hope. The hope is that Jesus did not come to save the righteous, but sinners. Those who are broken, rejected, marginalized, exhausted, hopeless. Jesus came to die for sinners and was the only one who could pay our debt. Upon the cross and in redemptive history, it is King Jesus who will restore not only those who belong to him, but all things. Hebrews 12, the writer says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, underline this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You can see from that that there is a difference between joy and happiness. Meeting with one of the guys earlier this week, and we were looking at Hebrews 12, and that was the question I asked him Man, do you think he was happy enduring the cross? No, but he did it with joy because there was glory on the other side. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The hope that we have in this king is that he offers salvation to all who believe. And so if, if you're a Christian, my encouragement would be to rejoice in what he has done, what he is doing, and who he is. To evaluate the difference between joy and happiness. I would encourage you to repent so you could see his glory, not your own. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, Scripture says that you are not just in rebellion, but that you are at war with God. And you can have peace. You can have peace. Knowing what it's like to be exhausted, being on this emotional roller coaster, or things are just going so south, where do I anchor hope in? You anchor hope in a man named Jesus. You're like, well, how do I get to him? By confession and repentance of your sin. 
When we talk about confession, here's what confession means. It means that you agree with the charges that have been brought before you. Repentance is when you turn away from those actions and you place your trust in Jesus. You no longer have faith or trust in your circumstance, but now in a risen King. The hope that we have is that He offers salvation to all who believe. So church, here would be my final word. Let us begin Holy Week with a celebration of the coming of Jesus into human history, the examination of our hearts, and with an anticipation for our King's return. For one day... Scripture promises that He will return to reclaim His bride, the church. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close our time and prepare to to just spend time in prayer, Lord, my, my hope, my prayer very briefly, very, very quickly is that your word just zapped our hearts to evaluate the condition of our hearts, which would then in turn lead us to understand our need for Jesus. And so as we worship you through prayer, let that be the cry of our hearts. Let tears of joy be what lead us to you in worship so that we would no longer be defined by the circumstance, but we would be defined by who Jesus says we are, by who Jesus says we are. And as we transition into a time of tithes and offerings, Lord, let this be a time where we not only give you our stuff, but where our hands become open, where our hands become open for the purpose of demonstrating transformation. Again, that we are not defined or identity does not lie in our circumstance, but in what Jesus has already done. And so may this time of prayer, may this time of giving bring you all the glory. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.